0: Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kremas, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, we've been preparing to start a series on prayer, and as we were discussing the books we've been reading and the different issues that we want to bring up, we realized that one foundational piece to prayer and really just a Christian worldview is an understanding of providence and how God works all things together for good. So before we start our series on prayer, we want to spend an episode or maybe two looking at Romans eight and getting a firm understanding of how God sovereignly orders the affairs in his creation and how that affects us as believers and how we pray. Now you had found an interesting quote in one of the books that you're reading in preparation for this upcoming series. Do you want to share that with us? And then we'll look at what Romans 8 really says.
1: Yes. And we bought some books that are popular and we'll do a more thorough study on this later. But here's what was claimed. And this writer says, notice that verse 28 begins with the word and. Now we're talking about Romans 8, 28. Okay. Which is a conjunction connecting verses 28 verses 26 and 27, making it dependent on what is said there. In other words, all things don't work together for good in the lives of Christians unless certain conditions are met. All things can work together for our good, and God's will is for all things to work together for our good. But it isn't automatic. Wow. We have a part to play, and that happens in verses 26 twenty-seven as they're being implemented. I gotta tell you, this is from Dutch East because it's a long quote, so I gotta have attribution. Okay. Now he may say other things in other places, and I've read about half of the book, but I can't that just can't be left to stand. No. Because I don't believe that Paul intended Romans eight twenty-eight to be conditional for Christians. Right. So here we are with a lot of people shaking, they're looking for help, they're concerned, they're afraid. A number of people I haven't heard from for a long time, I've asked them, just go read Romans 8, 28 to the end. Okay. Then after making that statement to people, then I continue reading this and hear these books that are so popular are saying, well, it's contingent on us. Wow. And so, then what happens to these people that are afraid and they want to know, am I saved? And why is this happening? And you point into a scripture that's comforting for Christians, and they're thinking, well, no, that's, that's not going to help me.
0: Wow, that's terrible. And these verses are meant to bring us comfort and security. If we. Right. we... It is very grievous to rob Christians of that.
1: Right. And I'm not saying that just certain authors trying to do that. I am saying that he has deficient theology. Okay. Okay. And we'll deal with that more thoroughly. But for now, let's just look at Romans 8, and I'll read those verses. Okay. And then we'll start interacting with some things that people need to know.
0: All right. So Romans 8.
1: Yes, Romans 8, I'll start reading verse 26, because really, those are the ones that some people think, well, it's conditional. Okay. And there are other reasons they think it's conditional. This is a promise to Christians, Romans 8, 26 and 27, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, according to the New American Standard. But the Spirit, that is God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here we have a statement from the Apostle Paul that the Holy Spirit, who indwells the believer and who helps us, it carries us along. Now, there's another article I wrote called Carried by the Comforter. It's about this. You can find it on our website, cacministry.org. Well, that's not really giving us a lot of comfort. If we may not get it right, or we may ask wrongly, or we may not hear something we're supposed to hear. It'll only be hopeless and confusing.
0: That's right. And that is not what Paul is intending to convey here.
1: I don't believe so. And what I've challenged people to do is study this and understand it and ask ourselves as we study and learn the whole counsel of God, are these statements meant to comfort us and assure us that those who trust God and his promises who know Jesus Christ, will be brought along by God? It's kept safe until the end.
0: Right. And I think we need to look at this and and ask ourselves, are these verses about us and what we ought to do and what God expects from us? Or are these verses about God and what he has done and what he promises and what he is doing in us? I look at these and I don't see anything but the sovereignty of God.
1: Well, that's what is intended by the author. Remember, uh, dear listeners, that, correct hermeneutic that is necessary to understand the Bible is that the Bible is the very Word of God. The biblical authors are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The meaning is determined by the Holy Spirit-inspired authors of the Scripture, not by the readers. Right. And Paul's meaning, we need to find out by reading this in context. Yes. And, and so... It- The author I just quoted said, Well, the and here means we got to go back, and now it depends on us.
0: Right. And that is just not the case.
1: Well, a lot of people have been taught that their entire Christian lives. And that's why there's so much fear and confusion. Okay. And I've asked people, Just read this, and what is it? It doesn't comfort them because they have not been taught good theology for decades. Right.
0: And I, it seems that it's part of just American Bible study culture to read any passage and say, okay, what does this mean to you? What do you think? As, as uh, yeah, somebody we both know used to say, what do you think and how do you feel? That's, well, that's not the pertinent question. The question is, what does it say? What does it mean? And how does it apply to me?
1: Right. And that's a worthy topic of discussion. Yeah. In other words here's the scripture, here's the context, and as a teacher, I'll present evidence that it means that God's going to keep us, and that he'll use whatever means necessary, we look at the whole counsel of God, to bring his elect all the way to glory. Right. But as soon as you say that, then people say, well, God doesn't have any elect, he just has foreknowledge of who's going to want to choose God okay so then the comfort all of a sudden becomes not so comforting right and so we wrote an article and I I I wrote this in 2009 providence and promise how God rules his universe for the good of his people okay issue 113 so you can go look that up okay now In that, we discuss many instances where God used people, even though they didn't know for sure what to do or how it was going to happen, and got them to the right place at the right time. But what we want to do now, and I cite Romans 8.28 in there, does this passage tell us that if we have believed in Christ, we know him, we're redeemed, and we're born of God, the Holy Spirit helps our weakness? That is the Holy Spirit who indwells a Christian. Yes. Well, if that's the case, what if we read the rest of it? What conclusion would we come to?
0: Okay. Let's read, let's read those verses. How about I will read 28 through 30? Okay. And then we'll look at what you say about those verses in the article. Okay. So you have Romans 8, 28 through 30. So, in all of that, God is sovereign over all of it from the beginning to the end. He called, He justified, He glorified, He predestined. This is all what God has done.
1: Not only predestined, predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Right. Now, well, boy, that brings a lot of things to mind. Uh, yeah. Started by the last few years in seminary, which went to seminary when I was in my 40s and took one class at a time because I was also full-time in other ministry. We had a logic teacher, and we were learning a chain logic where this implies this, implies this, implies this, implies this. And if that's true logically, then all of the things are asserted and are necessary. Okay. So having that particular logic teacher. I went in with this, and I presented it to him. It was the first class he had taught there at the seminary. He said, yeah, that's a chain logic. That's, that's what that is. But it turns out he didn't believe any of it, which we didn't find out until later. Oh, no. Well, now the guy is actually an atheist. I cited him in my book on um, um, urgent, But he knew logic. And if it's true, what he said, the guy that didn't really believe the Bible, but he knew the logic was valid. If all of this is true, and then each part of it is true as well. It isn't dependent. This, 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 this. Okay. That blows me away. Yeah. So, well, then here it is. Who are the ones? Let's just look back at this. We know that God causes all things. First question. Are all things in this context literal or Does it mean God causes some things to work together for the good of those who love God?
0: It has to be all things.
1: We'll see that as we read on.
0: And if it's all things, it's not contingent on us.
1: Exactly. Now, that doesn't mean, now, over decades of debate, people say, well, that must be, that means we're robots. Well, that's an absurd comment because. No one's ever claimed that. Right. The question is whether those who know Christ and trust his promises and whether God himself is contingent, whether the promises are ones that God has given to comfort us, or the promises, well, if you get it right, then ultimately God will keep you safe, but you may botch it, and then it won't work out.
0: Wow. There's That's really a good little when people hope are in that.
1: Yeah, people are young and bold, and I can do it. But some of the same people, years later, are are they don't know what to believe. They're afraid. People that thought that's great when they're thirty, when they're seventy or seventy five. What's wrong? Why is it like this? Right. And that is just. Uh, I can't tell you how many times we hear people. I don't know what to believe. I don't know. I'm afraid. I think I failed.
0: And that's just heartbreaking because there's there's so much reassurance given to us in Scripture. If right. we just believe what God has said.
1: So Romans eight twenty eight. by the way, I, I was driving a car once and listening to the radio station that we often had shows on back then, and there was a local preacher on that station railing against how Christians understand Romans 828. Oh no. A local guy who was a famous open theist was saying, Romans 8.28, that's your cop out. Everybody wants to believe that. No. Well, he believed that God himself doesn't even know what people are going to choose in the future. Wow. And it's shocking to me that people would rather have hope in their own ability to make good choices and to believe God's promises.
0: Wow. Right.
1: And it's unbelievable, but in God's providence, which that guy doesn't believe in, I ended up debating him in a public debate. I wasn't even scheduled to be in.
0: Yeah. It was a great, it was a great debate too. I was there and it was a really interesting evening.
1: It really was. And, I believe that. Did I mention that in this article? I think I did.
0: Yes, you do.
1: Yes. uh, Page three of the PDF of issue 113. I mentioned that. Okay. And here's a thousand people that came and questions were asked. And there were people that thought, well, if this is true, how can I have any assurance of salvation?
0: And I used to think that way, and it's really silly because if we really want assurance, we need to trust in a sovereign God, not our own ability.
1: Well, that's what I said. Yes. That's mentioned in this article, issue 113. But let's get back to Romans 828, which I can't believe how God really does do this. He does get us to the right place at the right time. Yes. Well, look at this. Uh, we know that God... Cause all things to work together for good to those who love God or called according to his purpose for only foreknew for knew there doesn't mean God knows we're going to make the right choice. It means that God chose to have a relationship with people who had no relationship with God from their own accord. Okay. It doesn't imply God doesn't know. all. Right. Often in the Bible, the, the range of meaning for no, uh, before you were born, I knew you doesn't mean you're going to be born. God intended to have a relationship. Yes. Okay, so it's a relational knowing, and it also includes knowing all things that will happen. Okay. Let's read on. Uh, he also he also we foreknow he also predestined become conformed to the image of his son. So it's obviously this foreknowledge is relational not just knowing that something will happen yes although that's also part of what god knows now who's predestined to become conformed to the image of his son believers now we have universalists to say well everybody's going to turn out that way that's emergent that's not what it's saying because not everybody is has a relationship with god verse 29 so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Who are his brothers and sisters?
0: The believers. The, believers, the redeemed of God.
1: Not the entire universe. Right. Okay. Verse 30. And these he predestined. Same group. So All these things apply to everybody in the group. It's a chain argument. He also called. Now this here has to be the effectual call, not the general call. Okay, Because Jesus said, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. A lot of people said, well, we got enough rest from Sabbath keeping. Right. The general
0: call goes out to everyone. The effectual call is what God does in us to give us the ability to repent and believe.
1: I recently preached on the need to be reconciled to God. And Paul said, we implore you, be reconciled to God. That's the universal call. Right. But who is reconciled to God? Believers. Yes. So the called here are those that know Christ. And those he called, he justified. Well, who was justified? Believers, not everybody. Those he justified, he glorified. Verse 31. Mm-hmm. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? What's the answer to that rhetorical question?
0: No one. No, no one, one that can do anything yes.
1: about it. Mm-hmm. No one can separate us from the love of God. There are plenty of people that are against us, but they won't prevail in the end. Right. And this conformity to the image of the Son is not completed until the ultimate resurrection and the eternal order. But there's a process... We're being sanctified, but we're assured it'll be completed. Yes. So as we go on, let's look at verse 32. Let's just read this and ask ourselves whether we can take this to mean something that God promised for all believers. Okay. Going on. Verse 32. If he did not spare his own son, delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him? really give us all things okay he's going to give us all the things that he promised yes now let's read verse 33 who will bring a charge against god's elect god is the one who justified let me stop right there of all of the doctrines that get um challenged and people really do not want to hear is that God actually has elect that they are people that he chose to form the foundation of the world.
0: Right. And people get they really, are. really upset about that.
1: Oh, absolutely. I've lost more friends who are teaching this and they say, oh, you're a Calvinist. Right. Well, I, the whole package deal, we just wrote an article about credo-Calvinism or, I don't, believe certain doctrines because I joined something or took an oath yeah or belong to a denomination I want' to understand what the Bible says yeah and for a long time I wouldn't believe that God actually elected anybody
0: right and I I fought the same thing myself
1: well that's the default position because it's too humbling to believe we don't deserve anything
0: well and I think part of it too is that's how we experience salvation. We heard the gospel, we made a decision, we prayed a prayer, our lives were changed. And so we look at the experience and build our theology on that, where it takes the word of God and believing what the word of God says to explain why we did all those things. And so the issue isn't whether or not we make a decision, we do. The, what, the issue that's behind that is why do some people make the decision that they do? Why do some, you know, if you look at, okay, let's say a Billy Graham crusade, why do thousands of people go to the same meeting and some repent and believe and others walk away unchanged? It's not because of decisions that were, were not made. It's because some people were converted and therefore made a decision to reach out in repentance and faith. But their salvation, their decision, their choice, their prayer that they prayed, whatever it was they did, that was a response to having been converted. It wasn't what converted them.
1: Well, the obvious fact is that how many people sign decision cards and go off and never serve Christ?
0: Right. The decision card can't save you. The right. sinner's prayer can't save you. The altar call can't save you. Yet... Some people who did those things were saved, but it wasn't, that wasn't the means that saved them.
1: The way we find that out is by just preaching the whole counsel of God. Yes. You know, people are willing even in churches to be bereaved and served. Mm-hmm. They have a hunger for a tr- the truth and they'll grow. Right. But it's so hard for American evangelicals. I don't know everything about. What cultures exist in the various countries around the world, other than what I've hear hearing from any contact us. But the idea that hey, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps and is is prevalent. And I was converted supernaturally, but it was decades before I realized, you know, I would never have done that had God not sovereignly intervened. Right. And the experience Conversion is real. but Our default position is to think, well, I finally made a decision. But the data in the Bible doesn't show us that. Was Abraham or Abram in the early of the Celtics looking for a new religion? No. And, um, and it
0: says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness.
1: Yahweh appeared to Abram before Abram believed.
0: Right. Was Paul on the road to Damascus? looking for saving faith and trying to fill the God-shaped hole in his heart?
1: Well, actually, someone who was very upset, in fact, some people that we've known over the years won't go to any church because they can't find a good, solid Bible-believing, teaching church that won't refute the idea that God ever elected anyone. Right. And so even someone like John MacArthur but teaches election they don't like that either. Yeah. So uh, if that's the case of someone who's hearing this search the scriptures. Should God get all the glory?
0: Absolutely.
1: Yes. And so we'll pick up with this as we continue here and we'll go the rest of the way through Romans 8:28.
0: Yep.
1: And the fact is we need to just let the author of the scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, speak for himself. Amen. And as we do that, it may not seem right to us. One person, I carefully explained the narrative in Acts, Paul's conversion. Mm-hmm. There's no way you can attribute that conversion to wooing.
0: Right. No, uh, that's not he was, possible. He
1: was on a mission to kill Christians and God stopped him in his trap
0: yep now and we might have time to maybe briefly touch on this next week but one argument I've heard thrown around a lot lately is in passages like say John 10 or different places or Paul's conversion election applies to the apostles but not to average believers so they will say, when Jesus is talking about the elect and those whom God has given him, he's talking about the 12, but that doesn't apply to everyone else.
1: That's not what the author intended us to believe. It's not how Paul explained it. Just yes, the apostles are unique. However, God worked in Paul's life as a evidence that God uses his means to convert ungrateful sinners. Amen. And that's what he taught. And Paul wrote Romans 8. Did he write this so that we think, well, that only applies to Paul, but it won't apply to anybody else?
0: No, and it wouldn't even be logical.
1: So I've written about all this, and we can refer you to articles and contact us. I know that monergism, meaning God does the work through the means he's ordained it, ordained not what we like to believe, but that's what it says. So really, we'll continue on. We want to go through 33, 34, 35, just go through here and see whether we find assurance by believing the promises of God.
0: Amen. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. i